0: It's great to be with you all this morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas. It's a pleasure to come up into the pulpit and open God's word with you this morning as we continue our walk through the book of Proverbs. This morning we're going to be looking at the topic of friendship, and it's specifically looking at verse 1824 in Proverbs. So if you're going to turn your Bibles with me, to Proverbs 1824 but before we read, I, I wanted to share with you a quote from a meme that went viral across the internet several years ago. Several, several of you maybe remember seeing this, but it said, nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. This quote uh, certainly expresses in a comedic way kind of the cynicism that's felt in our culture towards friendship. Making and maintaining friendships as an adult is a really hard thing to do. It's no surprise that so many people would relate to this quote. However, what strikes me most about this quote is one word that's in there. It's kind of slipped in there. It may not stand out to us at first. It's the word close. Close friends. Now We live in a time where everyone across the world, in one sense, is more connected than they've ever been in history. We have instant access to people at our fingertips. We carry around these really small, powerful computers in our pockets. People have thousands of friends on social media and can text message or chat with dozens of people every day. And social media allows us into the lives of people to the extent that we can see what they ate for lunch, what they're doing on vacation, or even what their pets have been up to lately. Yet, even with all of this connection that we have and perceived friendship, there's still a problem. It has to do with that word, close. Even with how connected we are, so many are extremely lonely. Loneliness, depression, and anxiety are at an all-time high. We're starting to realize that our, our private, individualistic, Western way of living is not doing us any favors. How much more true and evident is this coming out of the COVID pandemic? A recent national survey of American adults says that 36% of respondents reported serious loneliness, feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time or all the time. And this included 61% of young people aged 18 to 25 and 51% of mothers with young children. They were feeling Serious loneliness. It added that half of lonely young adults in the survey re- reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they were doing in a way that made them feel like the person genuinely cared. I think Sherry Turkle speaks well to this dilemma in her book, Alone Together, when she says, Technology is seductive when what it offers meets our human vulnerabilities. And as it turns out, we are very vulnerable indeed. We are lonely but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections and the sociable robot may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our networked life allows us to hide from each other, even as we're tethered to each other. We'd rather text than talk. And even in the church, we can struggle with this. Lack of closeness and intimacy and depth in our relationships. And I'm preaching to myself on this just as much as anyone else in here. This is not at all minimizing the bond that we have together in Christ. This makes us significantly different from the world as it pertains to loneliness. Because we're not alone. Christ has brought us into his family. And we've covenanted together to love and care for each other as his people. We share a beautiful bond of brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ. Yet, sometimes we still struggle to truly know others and be known. Many of us could probably list off a number of friends in our heads right now, but we should ask ourselves, how deep are those friendships? How well do you truly know them and they truly know you? How much time do you spend together speaking of meaningful things or actively caring for one another? this is why we need God's wisdom for friendship from the book of Proverbs. So if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be looking at 1824. Let's listen to the words of our all-wise all and holy God. Proverbs 1824 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are the wise and holy God, the one who deserves all glory, honor, and praise. We are truly grateful for your gathered people this morning and for the wisdom that you've given us here in Proverbs. And pray that you would speak through me to your people the timeless truths and wisdom that you've left for us here in your word. Would you incline all our ears to hear and our eyes to see? And pray all this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And please be seated. Well, we've been walking through the book of Proverbs all summer in this sermon series that we've entitled Wisdom for Life. We work through the first nine chapters of Proverbs where King Solomon is making numerous appeals to his son to walk in the way of wisdom. After chapter 9, we've been looking at the ways that Proverbs, that wisdom grounded in the fear of the Lord, permeates through all areas of our lives, such as marriage and parenting, work, decision making. And now we come to the topic of friendship. And friendship, at first, may seem like it's a little out of place, in this series, I mean, things like help for marriage and finances and work, these things are really practical. The, the wisdom helps me in my daily life. But how does friendship factor into all this? What I hope we'll see this morning is that friendship is very important to God, it's a means of grace that He's given us to help us live lives of flourishing for His glory. And from the beginning when God was creating all things calling everything good after he made man he said it is not good for man to be alone and proverbs gives us a similar wisdom in 18:1 when it says whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire he breaks out against all sound judgment and as opposed to the loneliness that desires friendship that i mentioned earlier there are many who do isolate themselves willingly and so go against all sound judgment. Most often this is done as a form of protection, protection from the possibility of hurt feelings and being inconvenienced, all the things that come from being in relationship with others. One of the most brilliant songwriters of the last century, Paul Simon, he wrote a a very popular song, very eccentric, very strange, Uh, but really good. Uh, He wrote in the 60s, it reflects this, this sentiment of loneliness and isolation, it's called I Am A Rock. Here are some of the words from that song. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship, friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock, I am an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island Never cries. Now, I don't believe that Paul Simon meant to write this song as, as an anthem of self-empowerment, though many will try to convince themselves that they're fine without others. But remember, the very worst punishment that someone can receive when they're in prison is solitary confinement. The truth is, we're not a rock. We're not an island. We do feel pain. We do cry. That's, that's just life in a fallen world. And we need close friendship to be able to endure. But even before the fall, as we just saw, it was not good for man to be alone. Rather, God created mankind to be image bearers of him. And he did so using the language of us and our. Because God himself is in perfect, unified, triune relationship. So if we're going to image our God well and serve him and glorify him with our lives, we're going to do so in the context of relationships, and especially within friendship. And what we're going to see from Solomon and Proverbs is not a comprehensive 12-step program for how to make best friends and keep them for the rest of your life. We We could speak for hours and hours about friendship. But what Solomon does give us here in this verse specifically is what to look for in a true and deep friend or even better, something to aspire to so that we can seek to become a better friend to others. The verse we're looking at this morning is what's called an antithetical parallelism, which all that means is that there's a contrast happening between two different things. And what Solomon is doing here is he's painting a picture of two different kinds of friends. And as we look more into this, and other various proverbs that speak to friendship, we'll see this big idea form that wisdom helps us to become faithful friends that flourish as we move toward the flawless friend. So we're going to look at together first the fickle friends, then the faithful friend, and then lastly the flawless friend. First, let's look at the fickle friends. Solomon starts this proverb by saying, a man of many companions may come to ruin. At first it may seem kind of strange to hear that someone who has many companions may come to ruin. The Hebrew word used here in the first line for companions does also mean friend and neighbor, but it also has this very broad range of meaning. So it could cover anyone from those who are just casual acquaintances we barely know all the way to those who are closer friends. But I wouldn't call the barista at the coffee shop down the road a companion, no matter how much I see them, just like I wouldn't call a close friend of mine just an acquaintance. There's a huge difference here in how we understand this word, so we have to look at the context of this proverb to see how the word is being used to gain an understanding. And when we look at the context of the verse, it seems to tell us that these companions are not close relationships at all but only a bunch of fair-weather friends who are not actually loyal, not devoted to deeper friendship. This verse could just as easily read, a man of many Facebook friends may come to ruin. Or in other words, it doesn't matter how many friends you have if they're all unreliable when you need them most. The NIV translation gets a little more specific. and It says, one who has unreliable friends... Soon comes to ruin. So, when I say fickle friends, I'm referring to the kinds of friends that Solomon warns us to here in 1824 and throughout the rest of Proverbs the surface level companions who may be great receivers of friendship, but they don't actually return it when it matters. Those who aren't trustworthy, both in reliability and in integrity. There are many ways that they're not reciprocal with their friendship, and so they're not stable friends. can be relied upon at all in times of need. The fickle friends, they waver in their reliability and support, as well as in various ways with their character. So it doesn't matter how many of them we amass, we can still come to harm. And earlier in Proverbs, Solomon gives us this warning when he's addressing what kinds of friends we should seek. He says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And Solomon's saying here that we do have a role to play in choosing the friends that we surround ourselves with, and the friend that we choose do influence us. So we should seek, to, to see, we should seek out wise friends that will help us to grow in wisdom and fear of the Lord rather than folly. And we've talked a lot in the sermon series about what differentiates the wise from the foolish, but we get, a, we get several examples throughout Proverbs of how this impacts friendship, specifically, He warns us in chapter 22, verses 24 and 25 make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Also, Pastor Garrison preached several weeks ago on how important it is to be wise with our words. And this is particularly true in the context of friendship. Solomon says in 11:13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. And then in 1628, a dishonest man spreads strife. And a whisperer separates close friends. And nothing can destroy a friendship and a friend's trust faster than gossip, lies, and slander. I think we could probably summarize this as loose lips sink friendships. We won't want to make someone our closest companion who is careless, with their words, someone who has a habit of lying and slandering and gossiping. But sometimes, even when we choose our friends wisely, we can still be hurt by many of them in our deepest time of need. Both Paul and Jesus experienced this. The Apostle Paul gives us a good example when he's in writing to his friend Timothy in Second Timothy after suffering harm at the hands of Alexander the Coppersmith. He says, "Do your best." To come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. In the meme that I quoted earlier, it mentions that Jesus had 12 close friends. However, when Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, he was betrayed by one of those friends and then abandoned by the rest only one of them stood by him as crucifixion you see the fickle friends can often see friendship as only a means to an end this kind of what's in it for me outlook and when we really think about it we have to admit that we have all been a fickle friend to someone at some point in our lives we can probably see in ourselves the very things that Solomon is warning us against here. But thankfully he also paints us a very different picture in Proverbs. A picture of a faithful friend that sticks closer than a brother. The kind of friend that we would want to have and to be. Look with me next at the faithful friend. The second line of our verse, Solomon says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. After being given the warning about filling our lives with shallow, unreliable, perhaps unwise friendships, Solomon gives us hope with this other picture by saying, but there is a friend. There is a friend to be found who is faithful and worthy of being a close friend. But notice a significant difference we see here in the second line that stands out from the first is that we see a singular word, friend, instead of the many companions. It's clear that what Solomon is emphasizing here is that what's most important with friends is their quality, not their quantity. Having one friend that is faithful is worth infinitely more than a multitude of fickle friends. Drew Hunter in his book, Made for Friendship, makes this point when he says, friendship should be more like a submarine holding few and going deep, but we've made it more like a cruise ship filled with lots of nice people whom we don't know well at all. That friendship is really going to be for us a means of grace, which God uses to grow us in wisdom and make us more like his son. We need deep friendships, deep spiritual friendships. And because we are finite and limited, we can realistically only have this kind of friendship with a few people at a time. I just brought up the example of Jesus and the disciples and how the quote from the meme mentioned Jesus having 12 close friends. But even amongst the 12, he had the three that he was even closer with, spent more time with, Peter, James, and John. And then the Bible mentions that even beyond that, he had John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this brings us to the other contrast that Solomon is making here the fickle friends in the first line. He makes this significant contrast by using a different word for friend here. It's a much stronger word used for friend in the Hebrew. It's a word that could also be understood as one who loves. And by using it, he's assigning love as the foundation of a faithful, deep friendship. In chapter 17, Proverbs, we see a friend loves at all times. As well as in chapter 20, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love but a faithful man who can find a great example that we see in the bible this kind of love shared between friends is in the old testament between david and jonathan we don't really we don't get a model of this friendship just a model of this friendship love we actually also get a, a good definition for deep faithful and spiritual friendship from them it says in 1 Samuel 18, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Then in 2 Samuel 1, after David finds out about Jonathan's death, he says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Now, we often don't have a category for this kind of closeness between two friends because in our over-sexualized culture, we'd be quick to ascribe this love that David and Jonathan had for each other as homosexual love. But this is not talking about romantic love here. And it's, it's possible... For two friends to have this kind of intimate love for each other as their own soul. See, a faithful, God-honoring friendship is this kind of mutual love and care where you're seeking the flourishing of the other over even your own. It's a selfless love that joins you to another person and to help seek their good over your own by helping them grow in wisdom and in fear and love of the Lord. It's a love that is foreign to this world because... It's only possible through Jesus Christ, who first shared this love with us. And as 1824 also states, it's the kind of love that causes a faithful friend to stick closer than even a brother. This is a very bold statement to make in a culture that was so much more family oriented than ours. This kind of friend loves you more and sticks closer to you than even blood family. And maybe you're fortunate enough to have this kind of friendship with a sibling or another member of your family. That's that's a blessing to celebrate, but it is the exception and not the rule. Our family will typically love us, but they didn't choose us. Or as Tim Keller says, our family may love us, but they may not like us. They may be there for us when we need their help, but they may not want to go out and grab a drink with us. The faithful friends they like us and they love us and they choose to be with us even in the hardest times of our life. And this, is, this love is what distinguishes the faithful from the fickle friends. And Paul displays this kind of friendship love really well in First Thess- Thessalonians 2 when he writes, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Solomon gives us even more throughout Proverbs to fill out this picture of a faithful friend and what he lays out for us may not be what we typically look for in a close friend. Many of us when we look for friendships we bring our own set of idealized expectations for friends. Sometimes these come from sitcoms like Friends, How I Met Your Mother, Seinfeld, where all the friends conveniently, somehow, they live together, they do everything together, and they know everything about each other, and it doesn't matter what stage of life they're in. Or we may have a romanticized version of of a past friendship in our minds to which we compare all new ones. We can tend to have what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls a wish dream for our friendships in the church, where we aren't able to love those in front of us because of the ideal friend of our minds that nobody measures up to when it comes to looking for friends, we can can so often look for what we want rather than what we need. But what Solomon shares with us about the faithful friend is what we truly need to flourish as we seek to follow Christ in life. And Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Proverbs, he gives us these four categories that summarize the faithful friend of Proverbs. I've modified them slightly, but I, I believe that these four qualities will be really helpful to us as we look for them in a friend. But even more than looking for them in another, we should long to exhibit these qualities ourselves as we grow to be more faithful friends to others. So out of love for the, for the Lord and their friend, the faithful friend will be firstly constant. We already looked at Proverbs 17:17 that says, a friend loves at all times and here in 1824 there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother a faithful friend is loyal, steadfast and immovable they don't retreat in hard times but they press in for the good of their friend this is usually really hard and uncomfortable for us to do but the love the two friends share for the Lord and for each other helps them to bear one another's burdens no matter what they are And one of my favorite stories about friendship, the Lord of the the Rings trilogy, Sam is this kind of friend to Frodo. While Frodo is determined to carry the ring to Mordor by himself, he tells Sam, I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam replies, of course you are, and I'm coming with you. It's a beautiful moment. Displays the love and constancy of a faithful friend. Next, a faithful friend is candid. In chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, we see, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And likewise, in twenty-eight twenty-three, 23 Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Sometimes, one of the most difficult things we can do is to love our friends enough to tell them when they're at fault. A faithful friend who is candid, is honest, and will speak painful truths with loving words, even when they know their friend may not take it well. A great example of this is in 2 Samuel 12, when the prophet Nathan visits David after David sleeps with Bathsheba and has her husband Uriah killed. Nathan tells David a story about a rich man that has many flocks and herds, but he steals the only beloved lamb of a poor man so that he could kill it and eat it with a visitor. Now this, of course, infuriates King David. And he says, this man who has done this deserves to die. And we remember Nathan's response back to David. You are the man. Nathan doesn't hold back in rebuking the king, even though David could have him killed for it. Nathan's courage and candor in this moment ultimately causes David to seek the Lord and brings him to repentance, which gives us Psalm 51. Nathan sought the good of his friend David over, the whole, over, over all of his safety and comfort. And next, the faithful friend is counselor. In chapter 20, verse 5, we see the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And likewise, 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. We come across so many difficult moments and decisions in life. As Pastor Brian emphasized in his sermon last week on decision-making, growth and wisdom happens in relationship and in the counsel of others. We need faithful friends who know us and who can offer us this wise counsel, and we should seek to know and counsel them in the same way. However, the friendship that's seeking to grow each other in Christ-likeness through wise counsel will need to have mutual trust. And this will require much transparency and vulnerability from both people. This is really hard for us to do. We can often tend to put up walls around us when others start to get too close and press in. But Ray Ortland wisely says, in friendship, you can either be impressive or known, but not both. This is probably convicting to the hearts of many of us. I know it is to mine, but this is the hurdle that we have to get over to build trust in our friendships. We have to truly know and truly be known to, in order to offer wise counsel to one another. Fourth, the faithful friend will be considerate. In 2517, Solomon tells us to let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. A few verses later in verse 20, he says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Solomon's saying that we have to know our friends well enough to know how to talk to them and when we need to be with them. When our friends are in a hard place, the love that we have for them calls us to empathy and keeps us from being callous. The love helps us consider their needs above our own and doesn't try to minimize the hard things that they're going through. A faithful friend in my life was just recently diagnosed with leukemia, and it broke my heart to hear this news. It still breaks my heart of um, everything that he's going through. His love for and faith in the Lord has kept him in in really good spirits throughout it all, but I also wouldn't want to go to him after he found out his diagnosis and say, well, at least you have good health insurance. And in the Bible, Job's friends were doing a good thing by coming to him to grieve with him and comfort him. But the issue started when they started talking. Not only did they speak falsely about God, They were lousy comforters with their words, heaping on shame and guilt instead of just being quietly present, supporting their friend as he grieved. Sometimes we'll need to just sit silently and just be a comforting presence with our friends in hard times. And when we do speak, we don't speak carelessly, but with words that are meant to build up and comfort our friends with truth from the Lord. And so, a faithful friend in Proverbs is one who is constant, candid, counselor, and considerate. I know that after hearing these four qualities, many of us probably feel kind of crushed under the weight of these. Like, there's, there's no way that I can do this, let alone find someone else who will be this for me. But as we seek to be in this kind of friendship, we have to remember that it won't be perfect. As imperfect sinners in relationship with each other, there will be ups and downs and really hard times in our friendships. We will, we will fail our friends, and our friends will fail us, because even the most faithful human friendship that we can have is only a dim reflection of a much greater friendship that we're meant for. See, church, the, the only way that we can even hope to be this kind of faithful friend to others is because we already have this kind of faithful friend. The true friend that sticks closer to us than a brother. Look with me lastly at the flawless friend. And just before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus said to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is our flawless friend. Faithful friend, the one who sticks closer than a brother, the one who loved us so much that he died for us on the cross. This is how far God is willing to go to restore friendship with us. He created us for perfect friendship in the garden, walking and talking with Adam and Eve, yet that friendship was broken when they sinned against him. But now God has sent his son Jesus to take all our sins on himself and die for us as a perfect sacrifice in our place for all our our free and full forgiveness. And he does so in an act of cosmic friendship. Jesus tells his disciples, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Church, we need to understand the privilege that this gives us in being friends with Jesus. And you may even be uncomfortable at times with this idea, even feeling like it's irreverent to call Jesus a friend. We know this is not a relationship of equals. Jesus is king, and Jesus is Lord, and he commands that kind of respect. But Jesus himself invites us also to refer to him as our deepest friend. And our friendship with Jesus gives us the access and intimacy with God that we were created for. If you've ever seen the show Downton Abbey, you get a glimpse into this relationship of of servant and master in the early 1900s at a British estate. The servants simply live there to make the lives of the people they serve easier. They have to sleep in a separate, much less fancy part of the house. They have to eat in a dirty basement far away from the master. And though their master is kind to them, they still live as second-class citizens to the masters of the house and all their guests. But because of our friendship with Christ, this is not so with us in our relationship to God. You see, a servant opens the door for the master to go inside, but a friend goes inside with him. A servant brings food out to the table for the master, but a friend sits and eats the meal with him. A servant prepares the nice rooms for, in the house for their master and for their guests, but a friend has a nice room prepared for them in the master's house. This is the kind of friendship that we have with Jesus. Though the Pharisees meant it as an insult, Jesus is happy to be called the friend of sinners. He came to seek and save his friends. This should be astounding to us because we don't deserve, we've done nothing to deserve this friendship. And even though we've been fickle friends to him out of his grace and love for us, he calls us friends and brings us into the perfect, intimate relationship that he's had with the Father and Spirit from eternity past. And this is a friendship that never ends because Jesus has secured our resurrection and he's prepared a room for us in the Father's house so that we can be with him in the world to come. So friendship with the flawless friend, Jesus Christ, is what truly enables us to be faithful friends and live in this kind of relationship with others. We love because he first loved us. But what does this all mean for our lives? What practical steps can we actually take as a response to this? Well, first, we must receive Jesus' friendship. Drew Hunter tells us, don't refuse him because you feel unworthy. And don't work to earn his favor either. That violates the very nature of friendship. Just receive it on terms of grace because of the cross, and happily offer to Him all the grateful worship your heart can muster. A friendship with Jesus is a gift that He freely extends to those who will accept it by repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Him. So if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, I want to invite you into friendship with Jesus, the King of the universe. He has made this possible, and He's extended this invitation to you if you will turn from your sin and put your faith in Him, bringing you into right relationship with the Father. Next, we might need to repent. We may have heard the first part of this message and been convicted, whether for a lack of love for others or for being a fickle friend. We we can repent and receive forgiveness from the Lord for being these things. Asking Him to change our hearts and help us to reconcile with those we've hurt. Or maybe we've been isolating ourselves and need to repent of our self sufficiency and self protection. As we've seen this morning, this is not what we were made for. It's foolish for us to think that we can live isolated without any deeper spiritual friendships with other Christians. We should go to God in repentance for neglecting this relationship that he's made us for, and receive his forgiveness. Next, we need to reach out. By this, we need to reach out to both God and others. We should pray to God about friendship. Ask him to give you courage and show you a few people that you can open up your life to. Pray that you would increase in Christ-like love for those he's already put around you, and strengthen you in the ways that make you a faithful friend to others. We should reach out to others. It takes an investment of our time and energy face to face to build these kinds of relationships. But for those who have felt lonely and discouraged in this process, remember, Jesus fulfills our deepest need for friendship. And he also heals our deepest hurts. So having these fulfilled and healed in Christ, It frees us up to discover faithful friends patiently and with grace, not placing the weight on them to perfectly fulfill all of our friendship needs. Lastly, we should rejoice. Church, we can rejoice because Jesus is the perfectly considerate one who knows when we need him most and is there to comfort us with his love. He is the wonderful counselor who counsels us with all things we need pertaining to life and godliness. He is the candid one, rebuking us with truthful and loving words when we start to go astray. And he is the constant friend who will be with us always, to the end of the age, always faithful, loving us with an unending love for all eternity. Charles Spurgeon reminds us well of this when he says, Christ is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You have often left him. Has he ever left you? You've had many trials and troubles. Has he ever deserted you? Has he ever turned away his heart and shut up his compassion? No, children of God. It is your solemn duty to say no and bear witness to his faithfulness. And Church, let's rejoice in our friendship with our perfectly faithful and constant friend, Jesus Christ, so that we're then enabled to go and be faithful friends to each other as we see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious and merciful God who, while we didn't deserve it, paid the costly price of sending your only Son to die for our sins so that our relationship with you could be restored. Thank you for this wonderful gift of friendship with you through your son, Jesus, and your love and faithfulness to us through him. We ask that you'd help us to enjoy perfect friendship and communion with you as we hear you in your word, as we talk to you in prayer, as we come to the table this morning. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, our flawless friend, so that we can establish and enjoy faithful friendships with one another. We love you, Father, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.